So this morning, um, we're continuing our series from um, the Yearly Planner 2020. Many of you, like me, sort of entered the new year thinking of some things that you want to be about in the new year, things that you want to focus on, things that you want to, you know, sort of the new, year, new year's resolution sort of idea. Um, but we want to think about that as we walk through the month of January and February in terms of some of uh, the things that God wants us to be about. So this morning, we're going to be turning in our Bibles to Luke chapter 6. We're going to be spending some time talking about those, uh, that, this important thing that God wants us to be about, where we think about the challenge of being patient with injury and insult. And this is certainly one of the bigger challenges in life. But before I dig into God's word, there's something that I just want to share with you that's really important. Um, Yesterday here at the river, um, a group of folks gathered and we spent some time interviewing two individuals uh, for the director of worship um, job um, that, that we've been offering as a community. And we had wonderful conversation with both of the applicants. Um, and we've been going through a process that process has taken us about four or five months to walk through. Some of you remember the worship survey that we did, the prayer and worship team worked significantly on a good job description that we really feel that God is leading us towards. We opened up the job to applications. We began the process of talking to people who applied. So that's, that's been a long process. And we are, really in about the last couple stages of that process with these interviews yesterday. And out of that, in the next probably three, four weeks, you're going to see a couple people up here who are leading worship um, as sort of a part of that process. Next week, Sunday, Glenn Molina who is, uh, he and his wife Shanti have, are in the process of joining our community as members. Um, he will be leading worship as part of the process of uh, applying for this job. Um, and you will, might be asked, not everyone will be asked, but we're going to do a, um, have some feedback from people who are part of the congregation as part of that Sunday. Uh, you may be asked to be a part of that process. We ask for some information from you to get it back to us. Um, so Glenn will be next Sunday. That's the 28th of January. And then in several weeks after that, we're still scheduling. We've got to figure some stuff out. Jeff Mercer will be also leading worship here um, as a part of his process of applying for that, that job. So um, I, I, I share those names this morning with you. This is the first time that we're public in sharing those names, but we, we want you to be aware of where we are and what has been happening. And it's been, and many people who've been involved in this process can affirm, um, we have seen God dwell in this and at, be at work in this. And we're grateful for his work in this process. And so um, we trust that as he continues to lead us forward, that he has some wonderful things ahead for the worshiping life of this community. So next Sunday, Glenn Molina, and then if several Sundays, sometime probably second weekend or third weekend in February, Jeff Mercer will be leading us and And then we'll continue that process as a prayer and worship team. This morning as we dig into God's word, I want to think with you, uh, I want to take many of you um, back to your high school days. I know that some of you are in your high school days. Some of you regret your high school days. I understand that. Um, Some of you don't want to think about your high school days. I understand that too. Um, But I'm going to tell, I want to talk with you for a moment about something that I have very little familiarity with because growing up in Canada, we never had these things. 
we had very little sort of idea of school spirit around this thing that I want to talk with you about, and that is pep rallies. Does anybody remember pep rallies from high school? How many of you really liked pep rallies? Some of you did. I'm, I'm, that's awesome. That's good. Um, my kids never liked them. And they've experienced them. I haven't because, like I said, in Canada, we have no school spirit. We don't care about anything, so why should we cheer for something? Um, but um, my kids, just for whatever reason, it's not their personality, they don't get excited about pep, pep rallies. But if, you, if you've been to a pep rally, you know, the whole idea is to drum up that school spirit to get excited about, let's say it's a big competition coming up. You cheer for the football team when they're playing their rival. You cheer for the women's basketball team when they're getting ready for the playoffs or you're cheering the chess team when they have this huge competition going on. Whatever, whatever the, the idea of something you want to support, you gather together and get excited about it as a, as a school community. This morning, we're going to find out how not to plan a pep rally. Because if you remember in those pep rallies in high school, they would talk about how exciting it was that we got this opportunity to play our rival, be in the playoffs, and how we're going to win, and we're going to do really well, and just what's going to happen after we can cheer for the success of this team, or this group, or this individual. In the text this morning from Luke chapter 6, Jesus does very little of the drumming up the excitement about the things ahead. In fact, he does almost the antithesis of that when we think about it from a human perspective, from our experience, or are the things that excite us. Jesus is giving us something this morning that excites him and then therefore should excite us, but when we first initially engage with, that, with it, it gives us some pause. And it makes us wonder, okay, what is Jesus trying to do? Jesus has a pep rally but it's like a pep rally that none of us have ever seen. As we dig into what God is doing here this morning, let's pray for God's blessing on our time of learning and growing. Father, be present. We ask, Father, that you lead us through your word to understand more about what your kingdom is and those things that you want us to be about in the new year ahead. Surely, Lord, there are challenges ahead as we think about the world that we live in, even some of the things that are scheduled for this year in our own families, in our workplace, in our culture. Father, there's, there's challenges. And in those challenges, being a follower of Jesus will be a part of that challenge. There will be people who reject the church and what it is that you call us to be as your people. There will be people who even ridicule us and don't understand why it is that we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, equip us through the power of your spirit towards patience. And as we learn this morning about that call to patience, may you equip us, Father, with a heart that longs for your things first. And in longing for the things that you want for us first, that we put aside the things of this world. Father, we ask that you lead us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 6. We're going to be digging in to the text there at verse 17. We're going to start with 17 through 19. And the words there in the text are this. He went down with them. This is Jesus. 
stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all Judea, from Jerusalem, from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. So let's get some context. That's the challenge with digging into a specific section of Scripture, what we call a pericope, is we don't always have context. Jesus is really at the beginning stages of his ministry. In fact, just before the text that we're reading this morning, he completes the work of the calling of his disciples. He actually gathers the 12 for the very first time, and we hear the names of each of them. So this is very early on in his ministry, which means that his name hasn't been that well known yet. Sure, he's, he's done work, he's done healing, he's done miracles, and yet he's not at the fullness of his popularity, but even still in the text here, we see that there are many people who gather around him on this ground that he has called people towards. It's, in some sense, is going back to that, that first idea. This is the pep rally launching the ministry of Christ in all of its fullness with his team behind him getting ready for all the things that God has ahead. And you can sense in the gathering that there's excitement among his people. Why wouldn't you be excited? It says this there. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him (coughs) because power was coming from them and healing them all. Now imagine you're in that space, and there's this big gathering of believers, and in this big gathering of believers, you're seeing the miracle happen. You can imagine it's like, whoa, How amazing and exciting and transformative this whole thing is. And you can imagine, because it's level ground, and that's interesting, it says it's level ground, so that means if it's level ground, it's not like the sort of arena idea where you have people in the back who can see what's going on. It's level ground, so very few people could see the immediate spot around Jesus. Well, all of a sudden, there's a healing that happens. Let's say a person with leprosy. Jesus touches them. They're healed. The people who are closest to Jesus see that, and they see the power of Christ transform a life. And you can imagine them going, did you see that? And the people beside them, behind them go, What happened? Like, he healed somebody. Now, I don't know if it turned into telephone. You remember that game where one person would tell them, person whisper something in one person's ear, and it would go on down the line, and by the end, it would be something completely different? I wonder if it started like, he healed them of leprosy. And finally, but the back, he healed 150 people of leprosy. I sort of wonder, but I certainly you can imagine sort of the waves of the power and the story of Jesus' ministry beginning, hitting this whole large group of people who are witnessing his power for the first time. And Jesus is obviously a person who speaks well to absolutely capture that excitement and magnify it. We can tell by these next words. He says this. Looking at the disciples immediately gathered around him, he said, Blessed are you who are 
poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. You can obviously tell that my last comment before I read the text was facetious. Jesus is drumming up of the excitement of the people is around the blessing that doesn't seem so positive. Hear the words he uses again. You who are poor, you who hunger now, you who weep now, when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil. You can imagine the hundreds of people around Jesus hearing that for the first time. Because again, the same way as telephone, and this often happened, there's clear historical and archaeological history of this happening. One person would speak in a large crowd, and there would be other speakers who would carry that message to the back. You can almost imagine the next speaker in line after Jesus said it, turning to the person behind him, and with this puzzled look on his face, saying this, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And the people looking at him going, dude, you got something wrong. That's not what he said. There's no way he would have said that. Even the last sentence there, verse 22, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. You can imagine the people looking at the second line of speakers going, really, check, double check. Do, do, do like a, a proofreading of what it is that was said because there's no way he would have said that. That people would hate and exclude us? Notice that this is exactly how Jesus, how Christ is beginning his ministry. It's what's called, as we think about sort of the story of Jesus, the great reversal And the great reversal is how Christ over and over again takes those things that the world exalts and he says, no, the thing that the world exalts is the thing that I reject and the opposite of that is what I exalt. You know, the world says, if you are rich, you have power, you have influence, you have position, you have prestige. And Jesus says, no, in fact, It's really difficult for a person who's rich in this world. It says it in a little bit. We also know that it says it's more difficult for a person who has wealth to go through what? The eye of a needle than it is for that person to enter the kingdom of heaven. We hear Jesus say elsewhere in the text, blessed are you who are last because the last will be first. The great reversal. And over and over in the ministry of Jesus, he does this great reversal. But us to hear this morning that that's how he begins his ministry with this great reversal. You think you are blessed when everything's great. 
when everything's perfect, when you're healthy, when you're strong, when you have an abundance, when your bank account is healthy, right? I mean, isn't that what we think? We're more settled. We're more comfortable then. I'm a person that all of a sudden, if some of those other things happen, if, if, I'm, if I or one of my kids is sick or Kristen is sick, if we don't have enough in the account, if the finances are a little bit upside down, I'm the sort of person who gets agitated and I want to fix it and I want to transform it. And Jesus says here, guess what? That's when you need me. And because in those moments you need me, those are the blessed moments in your life. The blessed moments come when we can't stand on our own two feet. Because when we're in those moments, that's called dependence. You know what else it's called? It's called faith. Faith is actually a pretty good word in the ministry of Jesus, isn't it? In all the texts of Scripture, in fact, it is one of the things that we are called to over and over and over again. Grow your faith. Pursue the things of faith that your faith may grow. Over and over we hear the echoes of that. But where do the times of faith come Do they come when your bank account is healthy and you can take care of all your needs? Right? Is that when they come? Do places of faith come when everything's fine, my body is whole, everything is good, I don't have to worry about what comes through? You know when faith comes? Faith comes to Virginia. When Ted gets the diagnosis this past week, it's cancer. Cancer of the esophagus. Now, we know the gospels and we know that they are people of faith. But when instead of everything's great, everything's fine, in those places of crisis, of challenge, of sickness, of brokenness, all of a sudden the prayers change to be prayers of faith. See, that's actually, to me, one of the problems that we deal in with our, in our culture when it comes to things like instant gratification. You know, if you have a headache. Any of you got a headache here this morning? I'm sorry to add to it, Bill. I really am. But the idea is you get a headache. What do you do? You go home and you take some, take some Advil. Take some Tylenol, take some aspirin, whatever it is you use as a pain reliever. And what happens most of the time, if it's a minor headache, what happens most of the time? It goes away. But the problem is that, yeah, in that moment of taking a pill, we can say God provided this pill. He is so very good to give us medical researchers and all these other things to give us these sort of gifts. And suddenly our headache is gone and we forget. The challenge that we miss is that when we are sick or when we have challenges in our life, if they don't get instantly solved, those are the places of faith. So in our lives of instant gratification, so often we are missing the exact same places where faith can grow. 
let me give you the distinctive. If you, and, and some of you know third world contexts, you know places like Africa, where there is third world challenges for different peoples and culture. Some of you know challenges in places like Mexico, where there's pockets of that, pockets in other countries, in South America or otherwise. And you know, uh, we even heard um, on Friday, if you're listening to the January series, China just dealing with its persecution um, and the government coming and taking away crosses and destroying churches and putting Christian leaders in in prisons. Um, When you hear about those contexts, one of the things that we always say, oh, that's horrible, we need to pray for them. But when we see the text of this scripture, we also might want to wonder, how are those people experiencing the blessing of God in a way that I'm not? Do you know that there are African churches sending missionaries to North America because in our plenty, we've missed the gospel? People are coming from third world countries, missionaries to North America, because in our instant gratification, in our plenty, in our lack of spaces for faith, for the challenge of persecution or suffering, we have oftentimes missed the gospel and what it really means, so much so that these Churches that are coming from places of physical, financial, and developmental want, meaning they may not even have clean water, nor food, um, food systems that are something regular and consistent and guaranteed. And those people are coming to North America in order to remind us of who Jesus really is. When we read these words from the text of Scripture, we should be forced in our own hearts and minds to wonder, what blessings of God am I missing because of the comfort and the ease of my life? I'm just saying, I know the situation for almost all of you in this room. And almost all of you in this room have pretty easy lives. Now, you can tell me about your specific challenges and your specific sufferings. But when we start to go down the list of the reality of people elsewhere in the world, people outside of this campus, outside of these walls, when we start to really examine and compare what we have in the blessings, worldly blessings of this world compared to others, we need to ask the question, is my ease of life forcing me to miss the truth of Jesus. This is a challenging text, friends. And it continues, verse 23. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. Because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Okay. How many of you want joy? You want joy? How many of you want more joyful lives? Okay, then here's the instruction for this morning. Write this all down, okay? Get your pens ready. If you want joy, then seek poverty. If you want joy, then seek hunger. If you want joy, seek to weep. If you want joy... 
Seek relationships with people who reject you or insult you because of the name of Jesus. And even people who call you evil. If you want joy, seek the things that Christ says should be sources of joy in our lives. Now, I, I'm, maybe I'm reading the room wrong. You don't seem excited by the prospect. This is not a very good pep rally. And yet, someone needs to tell me, is that what the text says or not? Is it there? Are the blessings of Christ the things that come when we, I don't know, this sounds textual too, put aside the things of this world and seek first, I don't know, maybe the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is really one of those electrified texts, meaning when we listen to it and really dig deep into it and think about all those things that we need to be about in the life and in the world and in the the work ahead, this should jolt us and mess with us. This is the sort of text that, I don't know about you, this is the sort of text that keeps me up at night until three in the morning. Because I look at the ease of my life. I look at the things that I have that are the material blessings. And I wonder this. When the creator of the universe looks at me. And he looks at me in relation to the world. And the world, I mean capital W of the text. When he looks at me in relation to the world. Does he see a difference? Does he? Do we pursue? Do we engage with? Do we value with our time and our energy and our talents talents and our finances the things of the kingdom of God? Or do we pursue the investments that assure our retirement? Or do we pursue the things that allow me to sit in my easy chair more and watch football? Do I, do I pursue the things that make my life more full in the world's eyes or more joyful in the eyes of the creator of the universe who has redeemed my soul in Jesus Christ? Anyone else a little challenged this morning? I hope so. I'm challenged even as I'm saying this. I'm like, Algerson, are you really listening to what you're talking about? We need to be challenged by this text this morning because it reminds ourselves. It reminds us. And, and even think about some of the things here. Um, it, it, says, it says this there. It says, um, Rejoice in that day, leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how the ancestors treated the prophets. If you and I are persecuted for our faith, if you and I are called out because our faith is so distinctive from the world around us that people look at us and call us evil on Facebook or social media, they call us out and say, you're a fool to follow Jesus. Don't you see what the church has done over the history of the world? That is a bunch of hypocrisy. That is a bunch of foolishness. Here's what we do so often, right? And we see it in others. And maybe we can, it's easier to judge in the lives of others and not ourselves. We say, wait, you've got it wrong. I'm not like that. 
The first thing we do is defend ourselves against those attacks when we live as a follower of Jesus in fullness and, and completeness, when we are willing to step forward in faith into those things that Christ himself says bring us joy. When we have the courage to do that, if we're called out for it, we defend it. But Christ doesn't tell us to do that. He calls us to rejoice in what you are hearing. Take joy because you are being marked as different from the world around you. The text finishes. And notice how it comes full circle to the beginning verses. But woe to you who are rich. For you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now. For you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now. For you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. For that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. You hear those words and aren't you challenged? Anyone? Please? I am. It kicks me in the pants. Because I'm rich. I am unfortunately well fed. I'm comfortable. Life is relatively easy. I have many people who like me. There are some who don't. I ignore them. And what does that say to me? I'll tell you what it says to me. Whoa. And it's not just anybody saying that. It's the creator of the universe. Friends, this is a call to us to live more deeply as distinctively as followers of Jesus Christ in the world around us. When Jesus says things like to the wealthy prince, give up all that you have, sell it and give the money to the poor so that your riches may be great in the kingdom of God. That's not idle talk. When he says, take up your cross daily and follow me, that's not idle talk. When he says that there are things that we need to sacrifice, we need to be, we need to be living sacrifices. Those are not idle words. And the challenge that we should be abruptly electrified out of this morning is that our lives are often lives that pursue a level of comfort and ease, the joy of experience in the world around us. We want to see nice things, have nice things, do nice things. And Christ says to us, Woe to you. Woe to you. Friends, I don't know what God's going to do with this text in your heart, in your life. I don't know if there's going to be some who are willing, some who have the courage to live radically in this world for Christ, to allow Christ to fully and trans completely and transform your life in ways that are remarkably different than they, what they are right now. I don't know. I, I, I'm not the spirit. The spirit is the spirit. God be praised for that. 
But what I am going to say to you this morning is don't simply dismiss it. Don't simply say this morning, this is a call for somebody else. This is for, this is for someone else. See, the challenge that we are faced with this morning and the challenge that we are faced with in the year ahead is that this text is specifically for us, each one of us individually. What is it that Christ is saying to you as you think about the things that you pursue in this world, the things that you value, the things that you invest in, the things that you make most important in your life? Is Christ saying to you and to I, submit to me? Is Christ saying to you and to I, give up this thing? Is Christ saying to you and to I, Sell all that you have, give the money to the poor, and follow me. What is it that Christ is saying to you? And my prayer for you as you go from this place this morning is that it is a really uncomfortable day ahead until you engage in the work of allowing Christ's word to wash over you and transform you. That's my prayer for myself too. I don't want to just simply sit here and say, oh, you know, you challenge them, Pastor Scott. Nice work. Remember, when I preach, the mirror's right here. This is a message for me. What is it that Christ calls me towards today? What does he call you towards? Final thing. Um... I'll simply say this, and, and I'm, again, I, I want to be diplomatic. I want to be fair. It's an election year. The advertisements have already started. The signs have already gone up. The articles are already being written. The debates are already happening. In a several weeks, uh, what is it, a couple months, we have Super Tuesday. That's really when things roll off and get crazy, and then conventions happen, and all the, all the different candidates are put together. You know what's going to happen? Here's something that I can guarantee you is going to happen. You're going to hear words during this whole election cycle. It, and it's not about party. It's not about an individual candidate. It's going to be about faith. You're going to hear words said about who Christ is and his followers are and what the church is. And I can't deal with any of the other stuff, the parties, the, the candidates and all that stuff. But what I can address is how we engage with things against the faith. It's, it's the call of God, I think, that we perhaps in those moments suffer some. Meaning, when we hear the sort of words that are going to be leveled against Christians and against the church, that we listen well to what it is that they say. Some of the indictments may be fair. Some of them certainly will not be. But that we hear those words, and we don't need to fight for Jesus. Yes, we need to have courage to stand for what we believe. Yes, we need to have the courage to make the statement, I am a child of God, as we sang this morning. Yes, we need to have the courage to be able to claim our faith in the process of all of this political stuff. But here's what we don't need to do. We don't need to defend Jesus. He put those mountains up there. He made blue skies. 
Do you think that he needs Scott Elgersman to defend him? What I will instead do is I will rejoice that the church and that those who follow Jesus, who are living distinctively following Jesus' lives, are rejected by the world. And I hope that I can claim that I am one of them. And I will allow that to mark me. And you know what else I will do? I will rejoice in that day. And I'll even leap for joy. Because great is the reward that is to come. I don't have to fight. The fight is already won. I can take joy in the one who's won the battle. Let's pray. Father, challenge us this morning. Make us uncomfortable today. Um, not because of anything that has happened here, but because you're, the power of your word is real. And the truth, when it comes in contact with the lie of this world, has power to transform. And we pray that you bring the truth of your word in contact with the lies in our lives. That, Lord, in that contact, there can be transformation. Not transformation because we finally figure it out. Transformation instead because of what you, the Holy Spirit, is doing in us. We trust, Lord, that in the days, the weeks, the months, the year ahead, that you will equip us to be your ambassadors in the world around us in such a way that we are in this world but not of this world. And that when the trials, that when the ridicule, that when the hatred comes, when we are rejected by the world, it is because, Lord, we know that we are marked as a follower of Jesus, that our lives are distinct, that faith is real, that our love is transforming the world around us in such a way that the world doesn't like it. And in that, Lord, may we take joy. Equip us, Father, with eyes to see, ears to hear the places that you call us to in this difficult challenge ahead. May we be people who allow your word to come in and transform even those hard, those stubborn places, those places that have been long founded. The concrete's been poured years ago. Come with your Holy Spirit, and if you need to, break us. Break up that rock, that foundation, Lord, that we're standing on that is really just sand. And instead, found us in the rock. Connect us to the rock that is Jesus Christ. Lord, may we have the courage to allow your word to do its work in us this morning. We pray these things all in Christ's name. Amen.